Rough Trade is giving away a third of the first three months of the Rough Trade Club plus new music membership exclusively to 101 Part-Time Jobs listeners. Become a member of Rough Trade Club New Music and you'll receive the Rough Trade Album of the Month straight to your door every month on an exclusive vinyl pressing with bonus material. Club members have received exclusive pressings of albums from Sufjan Stevens, Sprints, The Last Dinner Party, English Teacher and Over Mono, just to name a few, this past year alone. Sign up using the promo code CLUB101POD and you'll get Rough Trade's Album of the Month, Camera Obscura's Look to the East, Look to the West for a third of the usual price. By signing up, you'll be getting Rough Trade's exclusive issue of the album on opaque purple in a gatefold sleeve plus a bonus CD containing five demos. Don't want the album of the month but still want all the benefits? Sign up to the standard tier using Club 101 Pod and you'll still get the first month free. You'll also get free shipping on all orders, 10% off at the bar and on secondhand vinyl in store and exclusive access to sold out Rough Trade events. So don't hang around. Head to roughtrade.com slash club and sign up with the code CLUB101POD. That's CLUB101POD and claim money Money off Rough Trade's album of the month today. This offer is for UK residents only. Do you play in bands? I did for the longest time. And I wish that I knew that DistroKid was a thing. I don't even think it existed back then. DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and artists keep 100% of your royalties and earnings. A million plus artists rely on DistroKid to get their music on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, and all the major streaming services. When you get DistroKid, you can see a DistroKid bank and withdraw your earnings. You get notified when you've earned royalties and you can withdraw via the app. And you can even check your streaming stats on Spotify Spotify and Apple. Get 30% off your first year on DistroKid by going to distrokid.com slash VIP slash 101pod. 30% off for your first year. That's not bad. We know it's a tough world out there. Why don't you make it easier for yourself? And to get 30% off that free year as an artist where you get 100% of your royalties and earnings, go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash 101pod. All right, stay with me. I'll be right back after this. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, you're listening to 101 Part-Time Jobs with me, Giles Bitter. I speak to Oz on this episode. We've known each other a couple of years. I know she's been writing for other people for quite a long time, but I never actually really like properly asked her about it. So I'm glad that I could get her on. I'm glad that I could ask her about it properly. And she tells me a bunch of stuff I never knew. She got signed at 17 by a major. That all went Pete Tong in a couple of months before working a bunch of jobs where it got pretty difficult and she got close to throwing it in. But the day she was going to throw it in, she got a call from Los Angeles asking her to come over 
to, to, to meet someone, to meet a publisher. And, and that's where it all started for her. Now she's writing songs with Gabrielle Aplin and a bunch of other amazing artists. And recently she started doing her own thing again. I spoke to her just after she released her first single, Money, a couple of months ago. Her EP, Jupiter, is out now. Go and find that. It sounds amazing. And she's had an interesting story. I think a lot of people will get something out of this chat. So thank you so much for listening. As always, if you dig this podcast, subscribe, let your friends know, send a link out on WhatsApp or whatever. It's the end of the year now, isn't it? Maybe I should ask you to add me to your end of year list. But either way, thank you so much for listening. Massively appreciated. I've had some nice notes of people who have listened to the podcast a serious amount over this year. Shout out to Callum Smith for listening to this podcast for 2,552 minutes this year. So respect, Callum. Thank you for that. If you've got any notifications about how many minutes you listen to this podcast, do fire it across at 101 Part Time Pod at Giles Bitter on Twitter. Let me know. I'd love to see it. Cheers also to East London Signature Brew, who have been brewing beers with bands since 2011. They've made beers with Mastodon, Idols, Slaves, Sports Team. And this Christmas, they've done one. They brewed a beer with the darkness called Bell's End, obviously. You can go onto their website, signaturebrew.co.uk, and you can order anything directly to your door. That's a pretty good Christmas present, actually, isn't it? They do a beer in the box, which comes with a bunch of awesome stuff, a bunch of fun toys and games. And everything you order off their website, if you use the voucher code 101podcast, all capital letters, then you can get 10% off. So go and do that. This is Oz on 101 Part-Time Jobs. Cheers for listening. Go well. Cheers. Well done on your, on your new record, oh, wait, new, the new song Money. Oh, thank you very much. How's it, you know, coming back? It's bizarre. It's really weird. Um, I had like no, almost no expectations for the song to do anything at all. I was like, I just want to put something out that I really believe in, that I love, that's like sounds like me. And the reception's been so good. Been chuffed. Because you've been writing for other people for the last couple of years, right? Yeah, I've spent like probably the last three years, I would say, um, writing for other people and doing that exclusively. And not really working on anything for for my stuff. Just took a break from being an artist for a bit. And it's been super fun. I've loved it because I think because I grew up with so many different types of music and have such an eclectic music taste, to be able to do, you know, entirely different genres every single day of the week has been a super fun, really great learning experience, I think, as a writer. I feel like every artist should do it because it it really helps to narrow down who you are as a, as a music maker, I guess. Right, right. Did you find it quite easy to adapt to that, to sort of get in a room with someone and sort of, I don't know, figure out what they're about and try and use your voice in their voice? That's weird, you know. Am I <laughs> yeah. Is it something like that? Yeah, it's it's a weird, it's definitely a weird one. And when I first started, it was really odd because I'd always written everything uh, for my artist project 100% myself and had been sort of very sort of strict on that I always wanted it to be you know me and my guitar and just writing and doing that thing so going from that to then trying to manage different opinions in a room was quite difficult um but I think it's just one of those things where it's it's just practice and it's just like loosening yourself up for that with with artists you know I think when I'm top lining or writing with with another artist it's really important to me as a songwriter to pull out their stories 
and and artists vary as well like massively some are like super involved and and a lot of the writing is heavily from their side and you just kind of piece it together like you're putting together a part like a puzzle and some just kind of come in with a vague concept and then you write around their concept so it can be a completely different experience every day and then it's different working with a pop artist to a country artist to a dance like dj or it's just such a different experience every time you just have to be able to wear so many hats i guess and i love hats (laughs) you sound like you'd be quite good at dealing with the pressure dealing with the different hats i i I think so i don't know i just i really love people i I think i'm a really social person and, and i love drawing out interesting parts of people and i just love i think i love words like lyrics are my favorite thing to write because you can say so much without saying anything almost I think sometimes with lyrics I do wonder if it's if it if it really helps having you as you know you're the guiding you're the guiding person or you're like almost the producer right where you're like you know you could be saying that a little bit better that line could you know turn over a bit quicker for example and that must be a nice a nice place to be to have that outside point of view where you've got like a, a clear vision of it as opposed to them where it might be a bit muddied after the months of writing it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think a lot of artists um, get burnt out with with writing and doing the sort of, I guess, the rounds in terms of working with different writers and producers and stuff. And I think for me, it's really enjoyable to have somebody sort of come out with this idea and you go, that's such a brilliant idea. How about we change this word or we move this here and then matching things up. I mean, I've I've spent a a fair amount of time in in Nashville writing country music out there. Wow, I had no idea. Yeah, it's great. It's, it's like one of my favourite places um, to go and make music because it's such an organic process and they, they just have a different way of, of creating something. Like it's, I can't, it's really hard to explain it, but the way that they turn over a story and it keeps rolling and every line has something is really relevant. And somebody once told me like, never write a gun into a story unless you're willing to fire it at some point. Right. And I've kind right. of taken that from from what this writer said to me and carried it through um, from my first trip. And it's really fascinating because it's like every single word, every line, every single syllable, it all counts. There's never a throwaway because it's leading you up to something. So country music for me has always been something that I've loved. But going out there and really experiencing how they write it and how they make every line roll over and bookend verses and bookend choruses, it's just mind-blowing writing it's really impressive what you said there about every every line every lyric meaning you know it's there for a reason that resonates with me Mm. because I think it's quite easy to be lazy oh it's so easy it's so easy to just throw in like the latest buzzword or a classic you know you and you rhyme (laughs) like rhyming the same word with the same word it's so easy to do that if you get stuck but taking that little bit of extra time to say okay how do I say this in the best possible way I can say it so that it will get me to the next line. Right. It's, you're like, you're creating the shape of someone, creating yeah. the shape of like a situation. And then, and then the listener kind of fills in the colors. Is that yeah. maybe a right way to? Yeah. That's a great way of saying it. Look at you. <laughs> How did you get into it then? Because I've known you as, you know, Ozzy Sebastianelli. Was that before you started writing for people? Well, my journey's been, it's been a bit of a weird one, really. So I think I started as an artist years and years and years and years and years ago, long time ago, um, and signed to a major record label and major publisher when I was really young. I was like 16, nearly 17 when I signed my first deal. 
And that was a job at that point. Yeah, yeah. Um, and within about 18 months, the whole thing fell apart, basically. So I was only signed to the record label for like 18 months. And I got caught in this crossfire where the guy that signed me got the sack and the whole label kind of had a, you know, people going in and out the door and all sorts of things. So we ended up taking the decision to leave the label. And then I sort of went out on my own and was, you know, doing it independently, just me and my manager, who I've been with for like 10 years. And we just, you know, we went on tours, we made albums that no one's ever heard of. I probably made like three albums worth of music that no one's ever heard. Um, And just did that for a really long time and just tried to do it independently. But I think there's an issue within the major industry that when you leave a label or you get dropped from a label, you're almost blacklisted from the music industry. It's like they don't want to hear your name. They assume that you failed. They assume that you're no good anymore and you have no purpose to serve anymore. It does seem like there's, uh, it's like an anti-nurturing kind of. Yeah, I, I think it's it's kind of changing now. But around that time, it, it was very, you very much had a stigma around being dropped. And when you listen to the stories of some of the biggest artists in the world, like, you know, take, for example, your Ed Sheeran, your Katy Perry's or your Lady Gaga's, they've had three or four record deals before they've had their major success. Mm. Um, so I think there is, it is starting to change a little bit now. But it was it was a difficult time as a really young artist to feel that you were kind of ousted from from the industry. I mean, I, I'm trying to think of a of way I can sort of circle into asking, you know, how you felt and how you dealt with that, because I think that that takes a, a large amount of bravery from anyone to, to go through that. I think um, at the time I didn't really deal with it Um properly I think I I just kind of you know had this attitude of like sticking my middle finger up and going well you know screw you I'm going to do it on my own and I don't need anybody which at the right you know 17 year old angsty teenager um so young that's so young (laughs) I was really young and I did for a while feel really really alone in it um and then actually through writing for other people I really quickly realized that it's the same for so many artists there's so, so many of us out there that it's happened to. And it's quite a nice way to get to know somebody because you've almost immediately got that common ground of going through that process. And I think that helped me to deal with it because it then made it feel less about me as a person and more about how the state of the industry at the time. Did it, it was, was it hard to, to write around that time as well? Because writing is such a personal thing and it has to you know you got to try and come from a kind of pure place rather than a place of like hatred I suppose you know did that did that seep into that yeah it did it definitely did because again you know a lot of my songs ended up being about that whole situation and I couldn't get myself out of that headspace I was I was very angry and I was really desperately trying not to become bitter because I think that can happen to a lot of people when they go through something like that. They either quit altogether or they just become really bitter and jaded about the whole industry. And then when, as I've got older and I've been in the industry a bit longer, I've started to learn the ins and outs and why those things happen. And it's not always because somebody stops believing in you or, you know, just doesn't care about you. It's to do with the entire business as a whole. Um, and once you realise that, you can kind of let go of that bitterness and that, that I guess, that ego in a way. And, and when you went alone, when you went independent, did you get a, a, a second job? What were you kind of doing to survive? Yeah, so I 
started working in Urban Outfitters <laughs> um, in retail. And I was doing that like probably four or five days a week. And then on the weekends I was writing or, you know, after shows touring, trying to swap shifts with people um, to do that. So I was I was there for about a year and a half, maybe two years. Um, and then moved on to Cologne and Cotton, which was a fancy bedsheet shop. So I, I sold luxury bedsheets. Um <laughs> Nice. For a while, which is great. <laughs> Clientele must have been quite quite fancy in there. It was great. And obviously, it was in Brighton. I worked in the Brighton branch. And um, Nick Cave's wife used to come in um, oh, wow. quite a lot to get lovely bed sheets. And I, I met some real characters at that job, I have to say. Like, there were some great, great people. A lot of, like, very eccentric, wealthy, older people um, who had the incredible stories. They were – It was that was a fun job. Did any of those stories – like speak to you in a way that you, you you adapted into your own songwriting I think it was a lot about like the characters like there was this one guy who used to come in every day because he had nothing else to do and no one else to speak to I ended up writing a song about about him that no one's ever heard but he just made me so sad and so happy at the same time he was such a wonderful man like genuinely really really sweet and really lovely but he didn't have any living family and not really any friends and he must have been in his mid 90s he was an old dude and he'd come in every morning and say hello and buy the same thing every day buy this soap one bar of soap every day and he was just the sweetest guy and it there was something about him that it made me so sad that he was so alone but also so happy that he found such pleasure in the small things like popping into the shop to see me and the girls and buy a bar of soap it's just really sweet. Do you know what? I, I think as when we're younger, right, we're sort of generally told to not look at people when they walk past you on the street, right? Mm. You don't want to like stare at someone or anything like that. Yeah. And the older I the older I got, the more I realized how much I love, you know, trying to not be too obvious about it, but like trying to figure out where people are from. Do you know what I mean? Or figure out their story or kind of imagine, you know, imagine a story about them. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a really magical thing sometimes. Yeah, it's amazing. And like I remember like my, my dad's always been a, a brilliant storyteller and a really imaginative guy. Um, and from the time me and my sister were little girls, we would make up stories about things. You know, there was an office block opposite uh, the first house we lived in. <clears throat> and at the top, very, very top of the office block, there would always be a light on, like somebody working late or something like that. Yeah. And um, my dad used to call him the man in the tower. And every night we used to say goodnight to the man in the tower and wave to the man in the tower. And it became this sort of like, I guess, just opened up our imagination to things, things like that, creating characters out out of nowhere. And it can be a really magical way of writing to kind of just put yourself in somebody else's position and just from a glance and just from a question mark over their head like let me yeah. fill in the blanks here because it seems so little at the time doesn't it it doesn't actually seem of anything of, of, of importance but I mean think of all like the things in pop culture that we like attach ourselves to like movies like the breakfast club or hook or any of those real kind of big cultural moments yeah. you know almost famous and it's like things like that that you know they they inspire you for the rest of your life but they're just stories you know yeah, exactly and every, you know most things are stories and and songs that's why I always find like songwriting for me it's so important to come from a place of a storyteller before anything else mm. 
um, to come from really painting that picture. And I think that that is, again, probably why I love country music so much, because they they have a way of putting you from the minute you hear the song and you close your eyes, you're in that place and you're living that story just for, you know, the three, three to three and a half minutes of the time. Mike Skinner just said in an interview uh, with The Independent, I think, he was like, he likes to write lyrics that actually tells you how he's feeling rather than what's happened to him. And he said that makes him more country than rock. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, I definitely would agree with that. I think that's a really interesting way of coming at a song as well, because when you take something very literal, I think it's it's it almost impossible for the listener to put their their thumbprint on it and say okay well how does this relate to me and relate to my life like if if somebody's Mm. explaining a feeling I feel like feelings are so complex they're such a complex thing and a lot of the time it's hard to reconcile any of them in yourself so when somebody kind of gives you a, a vague interpretation of how you feel and you can imprint that on yourself that's such a special moment between the musician and the the listener I think Totally. And it's so funny, isn't it, when you listen to a song and you're like, that's me. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like, like, that's my life. <laughs> not, not, yeah, not to like uh, cast a big old shadow of, of doubt over it, but loads of other people have exactly the same thoughts, but are thinking very different things. I think that's a beautiful thing. Yeah, it's incredible. Like humans are weird and awesome at the same time. It's weird, isn't it? Music, like I'm, st- I'm 29 and I'm still surprised, like when I'm in a shit, shit mood, I'll be upset about something. And music gets me out of it. Yeah. Or, or sends you deeper in. <laughs> oh, yeah, all that. <laughs> yeah, depending on depending on the album. <laughs> totally. you got to be careful. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It, it is incredible how, how it can it can save your life. Like, music really can do that and really can pull you out of, like, the deepest, darkest funk ever, depending on what record you choose to play at the time. Did your songwriting ever sort of dwindle or start fading when, when you were working? Did you have any moments where you were like, uh, do you know what, maybe I'm just going to work more? Yeah, I think um, uh, there was at one point where um, I was trying to work five days a week and write six days a week. So in the evenings, I was trying to write at the same time. As soon as I finished my shift, I would go and I would write at the studio or um, at home. And then on my weekend, I'd you know have one day off um, and I was completely knackered. And I did sort of start to resent it because I had nothing to say because all I was doing was, you know, going to work and coming home again. And I remember I was living in a studio flat and we were skin, like beyond skin, because both of us were, you know, me and my partner were literally spending every every penny we had on music or traveling or, or something to do with musical life. And it was probably our second week of eating that pasta and sauce stuff. The pasta that you put like the hot water in. and Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I've got some here. I've stopped up. <laughs> it's only like, like it's 14p or something. You know? Yeah, yeah. It doesn't really taste of anything. It tastes of nothing. So we it was our third week of having that for dinner, like third week straight of having that for dinner. And I just thought, I can't, I can't do this. It's really hard to be that struggling musician and I did sort of think I'm gonna have to just like go full-time you know get a better paid job and be normal for a bit but at the same time I just couldn't bring myself to do it 
I just could not bring myself to to give up on on the music I was like I just need to keep doing it and then I think I'd got to that really really low point and my manager happened to be in LA um working with a different artist and she called me and said um I've spoken to this publisher he really loves one of your songs and I was like oh cool you know I didn't think anything of it and um she said he wants to fly you out to LA in the next two days and I was like uh okay again kind of didn't get my hopes up because I sort of thought oh yeah 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 I've heard this all before and I just sort of ignored it she said keep your phone on because I'm going to give you a ring when I find out what's happening if you're coming out or not and I was like cool so I went to sleep obviously and turned my phone off (laughs) and um she rang me I think I must have been eight times before I answered and she said you're getting on a plane tomorrow and I thought my first thought was I am so going to get fired from my job. <laughs> I was like, they're never going to let me go this short notice. And I remember going, ringing my manager at my work manager and him saying to me, you got to do what you got to do. I can't promise you you're going to have a job when you get back, but I totally understand that you have to go. That's nice of him, isn't it? I thought it was so nice of him. And he was a, he was a music fan and I think he used to play like, do like the pubs and stuff around in Brighton. Um, and he loved playing and he loved music and stuff. So I think he just really wanted me to do well. So I, I've always appreciated that from him. I, he didn't give me any shit for it or, you know, any stick for that. He just was like, you know, go do what you got to do. Yeah. Um, and I did. And they offered me a publishing deal. Um, oh, wow. When I was out so what happened? What, so what happened when you, when you got out there? What was the first thing at the airport? The first thing, well, my manager was obviously already there. So I had to go get in a cab and um, get down to the to the hotel they'd put us up in. And it was my first time in America. Um, I think it was maybe my second time in America, first ever time in LA. And I remember sitting in this car thinking, what the hell am I doing here? Like this is, I felt so intimidated the minute I landed. It was a bizarre feeling. Um, and I got to the hotel my manager was there and I think the first thing we did was go out and get a beer because we were like this is just the most surreal thing like you've worked so hard making music doing what you love playing you know rubbish bars sending your songs out to half a million people and hearing nothing back and then suddenly you're on a plane and you're in LA because someone somewhere has heard one song that you did and thinks is great yeah it was just completely bizarre um and then the next day we had a meeting with this guy um and he was fantastic such a nice guy genuinely really believed in me and I think we were there for like four days in total and me and my manager just kind of like ran around LA just being ridiculous doing silly things going to silly bars and meeting random celebrities in the street and being really British about it and not really knowing, (laughs) knowing how to handle any of it and then he yeah he made an offer at the end of the trip so had you written a few songs with the producer over over this on this trip? Were you going into the studio every day and bouncing ideas off each other? No, this first this first trip, that first trip I didn't really do anything. He just he'd heard one song that I'd written. Um and I think it he was at Universal at the time. I think he's still there. Um and he just heard this song that I'd written years ago and just thought it was great and 
we kind of just hung out. We went to, he was, he was like, I'll take you anywhere you want to go for dinner. And I chose to go to In-N-Out Burger. <laughs> it's an LA institution. You know, if you yeah. go to LA, you've got to do it. My manager was like, you could have picked any expensive restaurant in the whole of LA <laughs> and he would have taken us there and you picked In-N-Out Burger. But I just had to do it. I had to get the hat and do the whole thing and be a yeah. part of that. And we just chatted about music and like my influences and his influences and why he was into the, the song that I'd written and wanted to hear more and all sorts of things like that. But I didn't really write anything on that first trip while I was out there. Um, it was more just, I think because when he eventually made the offer, he, the terms of the offer was that I moved to LA, that I moved out oh, right. there. Um, so I think he kind of just wanted me to get a feel for the place and and see if I liked it. And I do I do really like LA. Um but I just I couldn't see myself living there. And I came back after having this great trip and having this offer on the table and I really really thought about it. And it was kind of like his offer was the catalyst for everything that came after and everything that is now which is something I'll always be really grateful for because if he hadn't have put his hand up and said, I want to sign the publishing for this girl, I think she's a great writer, then I don't really know where I would be at this point. So you said no to his deal about yeah. actually moving out there. Yeah, I said no, I said no to his deal. Um, but we still work together in a, in a different capacity because I, I work and write with an artist that he signed. So we still kind of get to work together but I said no to his deal and several other publishers started to offer once they found out that my publishing was free. I see. That kind of came as a bit of a surprise to me because I I'd thought for years that people would just, you know, didn't think I was good enough to sign my publishing or didn't think that my songs were good enough or the way I wrote was good enough. Do you think it was the classic case like in football or, um, well, major labels all the time, right? You hear about, hear stories about someone putting an offer in and then the rest of them do. Yeah, it was it was literally like that. I think it was because a lot of the the publishers in the UK didn't they assumed that my publishing was already taken. But once someone puts their hand up, it does. It sort of like gets the ball rolling, and then other people suddenly take notice of what you're doing. So how did those other people find out about it? I that that is still a mystery to me. I don't know if like the music industry has like a sort of strange. Um, like weekly meetup where they go. Has anyone heard anyone new this week or anything it's a like big that? Big bowl of big fish bowl of cocaine. <laughs> yeah, and uh... <laughs> and some um, some interesting champagne, and yeah. um, they all just sit around and just chat about who's heard what. Maybe that's how it happens. Maybe you know everyone's mates at different labels all just you know say, "Have you heard this track?" Or whatever. Maybe it's a much more organic process. I don't really know. That's that's still a mystery. But it's a fun one for sure because, you know, all sorts of people come out the woodwork. You know, you get all different types of, you know, people offering different things. And I ended up signing with a with an indie publisher um, who are the fastest growing indie um, publisher in the world, I believe, because I was at the time of signing, I was one of the only female top liners they had doing what I do in my my genres um and they really just had the best team they were so engaging and they I think for me the team is more important than 
the name on top of the letterhead. The team of people, I have to know that like they're genuine music lovers and they believe in what I do and that I can communicate with them easily. You know, I speak to my publisher like on WhatsApp probably three or four times a week. And then we have a fortnightly catch up, see how we're all doing. And it's like mates. I mean, he's been for dinner with my dad and me, you know, <laughs> Great. we've met the whole family. Yeah. You know, that's, I think that's a really important relationship. And somebody a long time ago once told me um, a record label was like a date and you have to work out who you would like to date the most. Whereas a publishing house is like a marriage. You're often with them for a much longer time. They look after your catalogue. Um, they're, you know, your retirement, your everything. So they have to be, you have to imagine which one you would want to spend the most time with. Right. Because those are the people you're going to be speaking to every day. Yeah. And, and probably spending a lot more, a lot more time with and communicating with a lot more and who are going to have, they're, they're investing in your future for a much longer term. Mm. They're investing in your catalogue to potentially have it for, you know, 20 years to lifetime of copyright, some of them. So they're investing in years and years. They want continual success. They're not looking at you in terms of like, this EP's got to do all right, and then maybe this album will do okay. It's like, you know, we're looking at investing in your whole life. For the rest of the time that you make music, we want to be the ones to help you and look after you and, and get it as far and wide as possible. So did, did jobs start flowing in pretty quickly when, when you signed to them? Yeah. Um, I think when I first signed to them, I started doing between five and six sessions a week. And I was doing immediately all kinds of different music. So I was doing music I personally have never written in my life. Like German dance <laughs> stuff, techno, um, you know, songs that I've never, I've never even attempted, I had never even attempted to write you know, a techno club hit ever. I wouldn't, I didn't even know where to start with it. I was meeting new producers every single day, new artists every day, getting in new briefs um, for like what type of songs people want, you know, writing for TV, writing for film. It was just like a whirlwind. And I guess you have to sort of go through that process to work out what your niche is as a writer, like what you do that makes you special as a songwriter. And it took me probably a year to work out what I'm good at. <laughs> I still don't really know. I mean, I suppose when, when they sign you, they, they know that as well, don't they? They know that you're going you're gonna to have your strengths. Absolutely. And they sort of have an idea of what your strengths are because they'll be signing you, hopefully, because they have a missing, they like to think they have maybe a missing link in terms of who they have on their roster of writers and producers. And they hope that you can kind of fill in that that gap so they have a kind of idea of what they think you're good at and will put you in the rooms that they think that you'll shine in but I'll, I'll admit you know sometimes it just doesn't work sometimes yeah. you know it's like anything you just sometimes you don't click with the producer or or you don't click with the artist or they don't click with you or you know two of you might click but the third person in the room is is not feeling it and it can be really frustrating. Can that be hard when like, cause if you're getting paid for it, obviously you don't want to like cut yourself a day or two short. Does that come into play? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's, um, it's an interesting feeling because when you get to a place where you're comfortable, you then 
you just learn how to like read the room. I think that's one of the strongest um, skills I've learned is how to read personalities and diffuse situations and, you know, try and increase the energies. And you learn these little tips and tricks along the way of how to like, you know, I've got a friend of mine who's an amazing producer. I work with him all the time on loads of different projects. And he's got this thing where he'll speak to the artist about, you know, who their influences are and what they're doing. And he'll pull up a music video of theirs and put it on mute and have it playing on loop in the background on a screen the whole session. All right. To get you all kind of in the right zone of where you need to be. Right. I suppose visuals are quite stimulating, aren't they? Yeah, it's a really it's a really interesting, interesting technique for that. And I normally try to keep some sort of book of poetry or a storybook or a novel or a book that I'm reading in my bag. Yeah. So that if I'm stuck with yeah. concepts, I can flick through a page and just pick a line out and go, okay, well, what can we from this line, what story can we build around it? So yeah, you learn these sort of cool. tips and tricks to keep everyone engaged. It can be quite fun because you just never know where the day is going to lead you. Every day is going to be different. Even if you've been working with the same artist all week, every day is going to be different and take you to a different place. And when you started doing that for other people, in your mind, looking back, you know, in hindsight, did you go pretty like full for lever on it? Were you like, okay, this is what I want to do now? Yeah. Yeah. I think it became very clear to me that this was the first time that I'd felt like I was good at something I think um and it really I really enjoyed it and then the feeling of getting like my first release my first cut on a record that had my name on it and I could go on Spotify and I could look at the artist like the song credits and my name would be there under written by it would be in that list of people it was such a high. It was such a great feeling. It was like, okay, so maybe I wasn't cut out to do what this artist is doing, but I've had some small piece in creating something amazing and helping them build their career. Well, some would say that you're the talent, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Depends who's in the room. Depends who's in the room. Right. You know, right. Some, of, some of the artists that I work with are absolutely extraordinary um you know I've, I've worked with Gabrielle Aplin on her last record yeah wow that's so cool she's just incredible you know she comes into a room bundles of energy and she'll immediately be like I've had this thing going on in my head for like two weeks I don't know what it is and she'll just sit at the piano she'll play this gorgeous thing whether it be you know a verse or a pre or a chorus or whatever mm. but it's beautiful and she's like this is the song I just don't know what it is. And from there, you know, she's so involved in the lyrics and the music and she's always got a million ideas. And, and for me, you know, I'm sitting there just trying to, you know, piece the room together and, <clears throat> and guide, help guide the room because she's just, in, she is an incredible writer and I have a lot of artists that are like that. And sometimes it's more a case of a, of a DJ sending you a track and you kind of writing the top line of it and, you know trying to build a melody from what they've given you so it's it's always a completely different experience um I'm fortunate enough that pretty much everybody I work with um is super involved in the writing of their music and cares very much about how how it all sounds 
But I know other people don't have that experience. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was just about to say, like, on the contrary, I wonder when you do something like that with Gabrielle Applin, you, that she will be like, well, like, Oz, let's do this all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we do. We, we, love, we love working together. She's great. Um, and I think once you find a writer that you can really bounce off and that you get each, the pair of you get the best out of each other. You just want to keep doing it because you're like, I don't know that I would be able to write this song by myself. I couldn't have done it. So this song has come out of a magical pairing of two minds meeting, three minds meeting, or sometimes it's seven minds meeting over various different parts of the world. But that song wouldn't have come out of a place of just sitting there on your own. Because you didn't, I didn't, I wouldn't have had her to bounce off. She wouldn't have had me to bounce off. You know, we pulled it from nowhere together. That must have had an impact on the stuff that you're writing now. Yeah, definitely. Um, do you write with other people for your for our stuff? I do sometimes, mostly the music, um, mm. because I am a terrible crap guitarist that just makes the best out of my poor skills. Um, so I do a lot of the music with a lot of other people um which I've I've never done before really on a record um but I try to keep the team small it's it's a very trusted group of um impeccable musicians and writers that I've known for quite a long time um and it was sort of birthed out of me having a session with some of my absolute favorite people we all just happened to be in a room at one time and we had a cancellation. The artist that we were meant to be working with uh, didn't show up. So I said, well, I've got these lyrics. I don't know what they are. It's kind of like a story. It's a poem. It's a something. Why don't we all just sit down and mess around with like sounds and instruments and whatever and make a song that we wouldn't normally get to make? Because a lot of us have, you know, we, we do a lot of pop or a lot of dance um, in our day to day. And we don't kind of get to do anything that pushes the boundaries or that's, you know, a little bit more on the alternative side. Um, so we just wanted to have fun and just mess around with different sounds and make something weird. And that's how money came about. That's how the single came about. We were just messing around and made this this song. And that's sort of how the sound came about. I think that from the freedom that we allowed ourselves to have, we created this sort of new alt-pop sound, I guess. Was that something that you realised when you, when you wrote Money, when you were like, was, was that a moment of being like, okay, well, I, I should start doing this again now? Yeah, I think I, I'd sort of been thinking about it a little bit, but then I had a lot of my writer and producer friends saying, you know, well, why aren't you doing it anymore? You know, you should you should give it a go. And I just hadn't really pinned down what I wanted to do with, with the project, if at all, if I was going to do anything with it. Um, but then when we made money, it just sort of made sense for me to release it. I couldn't think of anyone that I would, you know, pitch it out to. I couldn't think of an artist that existed that would, sing that track it just felt like it had been made for me um and I think that's where it kind of all came from it sort of sparked the whole everything about Oz really I guess nice and that must have been like a bit of a redemption story for you on your own just to be like this is nice to have you know it's yours it, no one can take that away from you this is your thing 
Yeah, and I think from working with so many different artists that do different things, it really enabled me to work out what was missing, I think, like what type of female artist was missing. And when we made the track, when we made money, it all just kind of came together in, in one go. Um, and I think, yeah, for me, it felt like, and that's why, you know, Oz is the name and I've tried to be semi-elusive in the video and all of these things because at the end of the day, releasing this track wasn't to appease a label or to, you know, make my publishers happy. They love it. They loved it as it was. My manager was like, do what you want. I'll support you. We're gonna. It's a great record and we're just going to put it out and do everything on our own terms. And that was a really, really great feeling to know that somebody, the people that what I'd surrounded myself with over the years as a songwriter genuinely believed in me and my talent. And that was actually a really eye-opening moment where I really finally realised that I'm all right at making music. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, fucking yes, Ozzy. Love it. <laughs> so what's next then? Um, so I've got an EP coming out. I've done a whole EP. Wicked. Um, it's five tracks, um, four singles, I think. I'm not very good at remembering these things. But um, <laughs> the EP's called Jupiter. Uh, the next single will be out at some point. And yeah, I'm just going to be doing that. Obviously, can't play shows or do anything like that at the moment. Yeah. you got to find some COVID-proof ways to keep yeah. on doing shit. Yeah. I mean, I've played at so many shows in my life, but I've not played one with this music. So... Something to look forward to. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm just planning, you know, elaborate stage things and fireworks and all the things <laughs> that I'm not allowed to do and that won't be allowed to do for the foreseeable future. Um, <laughs> but yeah, just putting more music out and, you know, it's always writing every single day, do it for myself, for other people, all kinds of stuff. So that's what I'm doing. Wicked. Well, Ozzy, thanks so much. Thank you. Appreciate the chat. It's so good because obviously we've known each other for a good couple of years and yeah. I've always known that you've been working in music, but so many things are, you know, I, I think that it's quite easy to let ourselves believe that everything online that we, you know, that we see online mm. is everything that goes on. Do you know what I mean? But yeah. there's, I mean, twice, you know, 20 times as much. It really goes on. You it know? really does. Yeah. I mean, life's a crazy one. And I, yeah, the internet's weird. I try, I try to avoid it as much as I can. <laughs> yeah, what is, what is your vibe? Have you got like a sort of how do you try and navigate your your shit online? Because you, you it's part of, yeah, it's in the job description, isn't it? Mm, yeah, and if it wasn't, I, I don't think I would, I would be a part of it. To be honest, it's a difficult one, yeah, because it's when I first started doing music, Facebook was the main thing, and it, it just sort of taken off um, as a platform for musicians to share their music and you know there was no such thing as Instagram and I think Spotify was sort of it was stirring but it, it hadn't really sort of broken through as a as a streaming service um yeah. iTunes was like the big thing and even that was hard to navigate and and now you've got like a million if you've got TikTok you've got Instagram you've got you've still got Twitter and you've got still got Facebook and you've got all these different streaming sites and it is, it's, it's a difficult one to, to, I guess, feel individual on. Yeah. I think that's what, what I think a lot of people struggle with. Um, and I hear it from a lot of, a lot of the young artists I have 
um, as well that I that I work with regularly. That like you know, you're not just competing with other musicians now. You're competing with influencers for attention. You're competing with models for attention. Um, so you're all kind of lumped in together, like kind of who can shout the loudest from in pictures, which is really weird. <laughs> totally. And that's sometimes it's not you or no. all the time. It's not you. Most of the time it's not you. And I think what you have to do is just try. And I think the key thing is you have to be authentic on the internet mm. because mm-hmm. people, people can see through falseness so much now, you know, and, and it's not appreciated. I think you just have to really be yourself and create content. I hate those two words. Create content. Do you know, me and my partner say media now. If we if we have to do stuff on our phones, yeah. we'll just call it media. And some, you know, we'll take, you know, five minute media break. Yeah. Somehow that makes it a lot better. I think that's probably, I'm going to have to start using that because I love my team, but like the word content creation, they, they just make, it makes me irritated. Yeah, it's like, but shut up. saying that. <laughs> You do have to create content, aka little videos, little pictures, whatever. Yeah, that yeah. Feels authentic to you. That's not because you know, oh, it's the highest trending thing right now, or you know, this per this model posted a picture like it, so I'm going to do the same. You have to do things that try and think of things that are individual, different ways of doing stuff. Communication. Yeah, exactly. And and do what feels right. You know, don't feel forced to do stuff. And sometimes it takes a little while to figure out what that is exactly. Absolutely. You. And you'll make mistakes and you'll, you know, do stupid things and you'll post pictures that, you know, are over edited or under edited or not the right colours for your, mm. you know, whatever theme you're going with this week. You know, you'll do stupid stuff like that. And, you know, your engagement will go down or you won't get any likes. But, you know, likes aren't bloody everything. That's true. what it's I true. think people need to realise. Like, are you a nice person? Do you put everything you have into your passion? Um, and do you treat people with respect? That's more important than anything else in life. Likes, no one cares about. I found that just reminding myself about that Black Mirror episode where everyone is gauged on, you know, that the likes that they give other people in the workplace or anywhere. Yeah. Have you seen that one? Yeah. Well, it's horrible. I remind myself of that and I'm like, okay, this is not the life I want to live. Yeah. I don't have to be in this if I don't want to be. Yeah, absolutely. I and don't you- have to think like this because we're, we're all guilty of it. I'm certainly guilty of it. Mm. Absolutely. You've got, you got to remember that it's just not, not real. It's not real. It's not the real world. And like we were saying earlier, you know, other people paint their – we all do it. We, You know, nobody's going to put the ugliest picture they can find of themselves up on the internet, are they? Mm. You know, we all, we all try to paint the best picture of our lives that as we yeah. can. But that's not yeah. to say that, you know, just because somebody looks happy and skinny and beautiful in a picture, that their life isn't falling apart and – you know, never, I tr- really, one thing that I, I would say that I struggled with initially that I don't care about anymore is that I used to really compare myself to, I used to compare my career to other people's, you know, where I was at in my life with other people's and, and in songwriting and, and in music in general, you know, that can all change it on, on like a sixpence. It can turn so fast, you know, there's people that I know that I've written with that were, you know, waiting tables and writing at home and struggling and about to quit music. And then they got their biggest hit of their life. 
and two years later they're in a mansion and they're millionaires and they don't have to work a day in their life now like it can turn so fast so just the positive manifestation thing as much as it sounds you know hippy dippy or whatever I think it is a real thing you put that energy out there and hopefully something aligns and you get lucky I guess for real and you get back what you put out absolutely absolutely and like you know as for social media I think it's just really important to not get lost in it because it's so easy to do that and it can be absolutely soul destroying if you really allow yourself to get lost in it so I just try to spend as little time on it as I can without it being detrimental to me as a writer or musician for real wise words Aussie (laughs) and I think I think it's so important to talk about this because sometimes it does feel cringy to talk about it do you know what I mean it's almost Mm. like something that you feel like it's dirty to talk about but you know it it shouldn't be because it's a part of our lives now yeah it is really a part of our lives and it's so ingrained with how music works now um that it is important to discuss it and I think it we're gonna we're getting completely we're beyond obsessed with it I think so to be able to acknowledge that we need to as people pull ourselves back from living our lives on the internet is really important absolutely fuck yeah thank you so much Ozzy and it's so good to see you writing music again and it sounds great oh thank you so that was Oz thank you so much for listening again I'm not bored of telling you if you're up for sharing this podcast that would be amazing have a lovely day. Have a lovely rest of the week. Try and get your Christmas presents in early. That's always a good tip. No one ever really taught me that. This episode was edited by Sophie Porter. Go well. Here's Cox Sparrow. I've been working all day for me, mate, on the side. Running around like a blue ass fly. I've been working. Yeah, I've been working all day for me, mate. Every blink of me, I've been on the go. This is a Mighty Moon Media Podcast. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.